Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. Hi guys. Thank you for joining us once again. Yeah, it's great to have you back with us for another episode. Uh, Before we get cracking, we would like to thank our newest Patreon supporters. So we have Thomas Connolly, Sinead Mulready, Alison Dennehy, Sean Kelly, Lisa Green, Nina Peacock, Caroline Pidsley, Gavin Cantrill and Karen Robinson. Thank you so much, guys. And we also have the following people who have signed up annually. Uh, So that is Catherine Hall, Tom Cool, Hannah and Josie. Thank you uh, so much. I mean, that is tremendous. If you want to join these guys, then you can head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. Uh, there's loads of fun stuff happening over there. It's a real community. Uh, we've just launched our book club. So if you want to get involved in that, it's open to all Patreon tiers. Uh, so do head over and have a little peek at it. I just wanted as well to quickly say a huge congratulations to our winners of the competition as well. So we had the competition for the books. So massive congratulations to the winners and a really, really big thank you and shout out to Chris Clark for donating those prizes, which was amazing. So I will be putting some links up as well. If you were interested in any of his books and you'd like to buy them, I'll pop some links on social media. Yeah, that was so good of him, wasn't it? He's... um. He's donated eight books. He's going to dedicate them to the individual winners and sign them and post them. Um, So, yeah, we were blown away. Thank you so much, Chris. It's massively appreciated. Um, So this week's case uh, features what can only be described as a public execution. The brutal murder of a young mum at her place of work. We all have a right to feel safe at work. There are laws to protect us from coming to any harm, but these laws can only go so far. They can't wrap us up in cotton wool, and if we work in a public space, a space that is open to the general public and actively encourages them to visit, so a bank or a building society, for example, there will inevitably be a risk that can't be mitigated against. Before we get to today's case, I did want to share some findings from the Health and Safety Executive's most recent report into violence at work. You sound like me, Mark. I love doing my little public service announcement first. Yeah, I really, really was feeling your kind of like uh, vibes on this one. And this is fascinating what follows, but I've been kind of getting obsessed with the health and safety executive at the moment because um, obviously I referred to them quite a lot in the Heather Bell episode that we did a few weeks ago. But there's so much interesting information on their website. It's available to everybody. So if you're bored at the moment or at a loose end or struggling to get to sleep, then <laughs> do do definitely take a deep dive into some of their reports. So the Health and Safety Executive's 2019 Violence at Work report is truly an astonishing read. And all of these facts and figures which follow, which I hope will provide further context to today's case, have been taken from there. In 2019, there were 739,000 incidents of violence at work in England and Wales. And I mean, that is just shocking, isn't it? 739,000 incidents in one year. That is a ridiculous amount. It is, yeah. 1.3% of adults were subjected to violence in the workplace in 2019. That's how it works out. And that does include threats being made as well as acts of physical violence. Um, It's about a 50-50 split. But even if you take out 
threats of violence, it's still astonishing. It's still about 400,000 incidents of physical violence in a, in a workplace. I also think like even just, I'm saying just threats because it's compared with the physical violence, but threats are just as terrifying because then you're on edge about coming to work as well. So yeah, like that is crazy. Yeah, I, that is true actually. I, I've definitely been threatened at work. I've never been... Um, I've never been physically assaulted, but I've definitely been threatened with the sack for turning up drunk. So (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, But I've definitely been threatened. People saying I'm going to wait for you in the car park and stuff. 80% of physically violent acts resulted in minor bruising or a black eye. 15% resulted in cuts, which is disturbing. Um, That's a really high proportion. What are people doing? And 25% resulted in scratches, which is probably even weirder. Um, 18% of physically violent attacks resulted in severe bruising. And approximately 12% resulted in what is classed as other injuries. Obviously, all of that adds up to more than 100%. And that's because some physical assaults will cause more than one particular injury. So you might you might be assaulted and, and the result of that would be severe bruising and scratches, for example. But it's this other injuries category that we're going to be exploring in some detail today. This category includes some of the more serious injuries, so stab wounds, broken bones and lost or chipped teeth. Oh, it's just horrible. And approximately 12%, that's still a huge amount, so it's crazy. The Health and Safety Executive found that women are 11% more likely to be a victim of violence in the workplace And that could be because of their sex, because they are less strong than a man. I know that's a sweeping generalisation, but maybe people that are attacking other people in the place of work might target women because they're um, more vulnerable. They see them as an easier target, maybe, yeah. Yeah, an easier target. And sweeping statement number two coming right up. It could also be that women are uh, more prevalent in jobs in healthcare, in customer services, um, where there are more attacks, essentially. So it could be that. Yeah, I think that's not necessarily an unfair sweeping statement. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And the sort of industries where people tend to get angry for what the staff or the person serving them or helping them believes is probably quite a stupid reason is generally um kind of customer facing customer service job roles which you tend to find a women don't you yeah i think so i think it is interesting with customer services we'll come on to it in a moment because it's not it's not as violent as as you might think actually uh it's you're not as as likely to be a victim of assault um or threats in a customer service job as, as some other jobs The report did find actually that you're eight times more likely to be a victim of violence in the workplace if you work in protective service occupations. So that's kind of like the police. Um, And that's not surprising at all. And you're also five times more likely to be a victim of violence in the workplace if you work in health and social care. So a bit like what we were just talking about. Um, And that really is shocking. I kind of understand that working for the police carries a lot of risks to your safety. But if you're a nurse in a hospital helping people who are desperately in need, chances are that you will have either been violently attacked yourself in recent years or you will at least know a colleague who has been, which that's just appalling, isn't it? It's shocking. That's horrendous. Absolutely. The very people that are there to help us when we're most vulnerable and in need, 
other people that are on the the thick end of of violence in the workplace. I think it was yeah around about five percent of people in healthcare um, in two thousand and nineteen had been a victim of uh, violence in the workplace. So as I said, as I alluded to um, a moment ago, you might think that working in customer services, such as a bank or in a supermarket, for example, carries a higher risk of being threatened or physically attacked than many other jobs. But actually, these occupations are generally very low risk. See, that does surprise me because I I think maybe because that's the industry I come from. Um, I was quite surprised by that. So yeah, I was really surprised, particularly with threats. But it could just be that people in customer services are so used to threats being made, for example, that it doesn't really get reported. It could could be down to that. I don't think I I ever reported anything internally when a threat was made. Um, but I if I had, did when it was when I actually felt like physically worried. Yeah. Other times you just kind of go, oh, "What an idiot," and then you get on with your day. So yeah, I think that's a really fair point as well. Yeah, so customer services generally is um, low risk, but very sadly, this wasn't the case for the subject of today's episode. She was stabbed to death in her place of work, which was an Audi supermarket in Skipton in 2017. Skipton is a small market town in North Yorkshire in England, about 30 miles northwest of Leeds. A former industrial hub, the town is now a vibrant commercial centre for the communities it serves. And it's picture postcard perfect. The town is packed full of heritage and canals and views of the Yorkshire Dales. Unique independent shops sit alongside well-known household names on its high street and there is a plethora of bars and restaurants. It's a great place to live and work and this was proven to be the case for 30-year-old mother of one Jodie Wilshire. Jodie was beautiful inside and out and we'll put pictures up on Instagram but if you look at those pictures there is a real sparkle in her eyes and friends described her as a truly lovely woman who was very popular. Yeah I know this case and I definitely agree with you she just seemed like um, she just seems very friendly and that you could imagine in her job working in the supermarket she'd remember people quite well I know that's totally just judging someone from the look on their pictures but she just looked nice and really sweet yeah I I did think exactly the same I thought I bet she knew a lot of the regulars in that branch of Audi especially the old people she'd have wanted to make sure she made them feel happy and special yeah so she she genuinely was all of the tributes that I've read um really talked about how lovely she was um and Jodie was really excited in the days and weeks leading up to Christmas that year in 2017 She'd been working at Audi's Skipton branch since it opened in 2015 and she was a much admired member of that team. Jodie loved Christmas and anyone who works in retail will tell you Christmas time is ridiculously busy but it's also ridiculously fun. The Christmas tunes blare around you, customers are that bit nicer, it's just a really infectious atmosphere and I think it's a great time to work isn't it? It really is and depending on what industry you work in you may well have had customers drop in chocolates and sweets and stuff so you're all on a bit of a sugar high you're probably wearing your Christmas jumpers if your manager is as lovely as Mark was when he was my manager wearing Christmas jumpers and yeah it is and everybody's kind of chatting about their plans I know this Christmas is potentially a bit different because people were kind of like oh we're gonna have a bit more of a low-key Christmas but in general 
everyone's like, oh, I'm excited to see this person or I've bought this for my other half. Yeah, I I used to love like customers would come in in crazy outfits and we'd get they'd they'd come in with like lovely cards and gifts and stuff and it was just it was just a really fun time and you you were surrounded by people full of festive cheer and you were surrounded by all the lovely Christmas tunes blaring out and we, we'd just have Christmas quizzes and have a laugh. It was just it really is a great time to work in in retail. It is, I think so, yeah. and I do think that even if you're having a bit of a rubbish time, it can be quite and everybody can kind of help to bring you back up in your mood and stuff as well. Yeah, that's so true. So before um, we go on to talk about what happened in the run-up to Christmas in 2017, let's hear from uh, today's show sponsor. So Jodie was super excited in 2017 because her daughter, who was five at the time, was now old enough to really understand what Christmas meant. She'd started school just a few months earlier and was eagerly awaiting Santa's arrival. In fact, it was all she talked about. And as an extra treat, this year the family were off to Disneyland on Boxing Day. Wow, now that is that is a pretty amazing present. That's exciting. Isn't it? And for a five-year-old girl, that would just be, you know, absolutely magical. After a busy few weeks working in retail in the run-up to Christmas, this was going to be a well-deserved break for Jodie, and she knew the memories they would make on that trip would go on to last a lifetime. Jodie was married to her husband Malcolm, and friends described them as the perfect couple, saying they were so in love with each other. Life hadn't always been easy for them, they'd gone through their own struggles and heartache, but they'd gotten through it together. They were a tight family unit. The 21st of December fell on a Thursday in 2017. With just four days to go until the big day, the Skipton branch of Audi was crammed full of shoppers, stocking up on mince pies and night vision goggles. Just a little joke because it's Audi. And of course, they're renowned for their weird and wonderful special buys. I do love the middle aisle of Audi. Don't we all? Absolutely love it. So, as I said, it was a busy day in store that day. Jodie was working in the aisles, squeezing in between the hordes of shoppers as she replenished the vastly diminishing shelves. She was wearing a Christmas jumper that day. Gone was the dreary blue uniform that she normally wore. This was a time for fun and frolics. By mid-afternoon, the store had quietened down a little bit. It always did around 3pm, as parents raced to the nearby schools to pick up their children. Jodie was still busy stacking the shelves when, at 3.30pm, she noticed a man walking rapidly towards her. She knew this man, in fact, she knew him very well, but before she had chance to register his visit to the store that day, her place of work, the look in his eyes as he marched towards her, she felt a sharp pain in her chest. And then another and another. The pain was in her abdomen now. Within a matter of seconds, Jodie had been stabbed multiple times. There was blood everywhere. Her thick Christmas jumper was now wet, warm and sticky with her blood, and it was clinging to her body as if it had been vacuum-packed to her skin. Jodie slumped to the ground and continued to bleed profusely. Her attacker was now on the floor with her, still stabbing her, this time in the head and chest. Jodie lay there in a pool of her own blood, dying. 
Her attack had lasted less than 10 seconds and it took this long for fellow shoppers to register what they were actually witnessing. Was this really happening? Had a woman really just been stabbed to death in front of them in the Skipton branch of Audi just four days before Christmas? Was that blood real? It was too much to take in. And I can't even begin to imagine what those shoppers went through that afternoon, witnessing a cold-blooded execution in a place you would least expect it. Not only did they witness this barbaric murder, but the knifeman didn't make any attempt to run away. For all they knew, he was on a rampage, a killing spree. They must have truly feared for their own lives, and I think that really comes out in what happens next. Because that fear turned to anger. Anger at what the man had just done to this poor, defenceless woman, and anger at what he might do to them. God, that is absolutely horrendous. Ten seconds, yeah. and this much devastation has been caused, and and then, yeah, for all these people just who are doing their Christmassy shopping. God, what an absolutely horrendous sort of thing to witness and to be there part of as well yeah a a really really brutal end to jody's life and i i did really wrestled with how much detail to go into um and how graphic to be but i i really wanted to paint that scene vividly for people so that they they really could um, place themselves there and i really hope that's not upset any anybody too much of course it's upsetting but so many people witnessed this and, and I, I wanted to take you guys there really and it was a barbaric murder. In the immediate aftermath of Jodie's killing, one shopper, a man thought to be in his late 60s, launched at Jodie's attacker who by now was stood over her body, knife in hand, and attempted to restrain him. Another man, Wilf Beatty, who was 68 years old at the time, punched Jody's attacker to the ground before helping to restrain him. He said, I just started laying into him. I punched him in the face a few times. We got him on the floor and restrained him. And he goes on to say, A member of staff came, got his head, and a fella and myself got a belt around his legs before a young member of staff came with a big roll of cling film and wrapped it around his legs. Oh my God, what absolute legends to do this because they're in danger themselves potentially and but yet they know they need to make sure this person's restrained for the police to cut. Like, that is incredible. And, and for the protection of other shoppers because, as I said, for all they knew at that time, this guy was on a, a murderous rampage. Oh, I yeah, of, of, these guys are just legends. So despite the slightly comical nature of this apprehension with the cling film, um, the bravery of these shoppers, as we said, and, and also that member of staff, it's just breathtaking, isn't it? And I, I guess it's one of those situations where you just don't know how you're going to react until you're actually in it and adrenaline just takes over and you do things that you just don't think you are capable of. And if you check out our Instagram page, you will see pictures of Jodie's attacker, whose identity I will reveal in just a minute. 
But when I first saw pictures of this man online, of course, you have all of the kind of normal photos that are reported in the press that are taken from the their Instagram account or Facebook or whatever. And this guy just looks totally normal. Um, but then you've got the photos that the police have taken in, in, in the immediate aftermath of his arrest. And it's literally like, what the fuck? His face is literally battered and bruised and scratched to fuckery. Oh, my God. Good. Like these these shoppers and this staff member, amazing. And when I saw those photos, I didn't know at the time what had happened to him. I didn't know that those shoppers and the staff had apprehended him so violently. It was necessary for them to do that, but I didn't know that. So I just thought that like since the normal photos had been taken to the time of his arrest and, and the attack, I just thought, oh my God, this guy has obviously gotten like heavily into drugs because it looked like one of those before and after crystal meth photos that you see in the press really? um and for someone to behave like this you'd kind of go well they must be yeah like high as on on like crystal meth or something yeah i think i think that was subconsciously what i was thinking that he'd obviously turned to drugs and like a crazy guy um but yeah do take a look the brave shoppers who apprehended him their anger is literally written all over this guy's face oh now that is poetic mark but also that is so good because yeah like they literally reacted with such a base instinct, but I and I love them for it. Absolutely, yeah. It was an, an animalistic instinct, and I think, yeah, they wouldn't have even really known what they were doing. It was just instinctive that they would apprehend this guy through any means possible. So I said I would reveal the identity of Jodie's killer. I'm sure you're all thinking, who would possibly do this to a young woman with the world at her feet? Well, if I tell you that in court, her attacker said he believed Jodie had smiled at him as he approached her on that fateful afternoon, then you might be thinking that it was perhaps a loved one, maybe her husband. Well, if that is what you're thinking, then you would actually be wrong because it was actually the ex-partner of Jodie's mum a 44-year-old man named Neville Horde. We'll come on to the why shortly, but before we delve into Horde's motive for carrying out such a brutal public execution, I wanted to take you back to that tragic afternoon to just finish Jodie's story. Emergency services arrived at the store at around 3.50pm. Neville Horde was arrested and carted off to the local police station and Jodie was taken to Airedale General Hospital where she was pronounced dead shortly after her arrival. There is no way Jodie could have survived this attack. She had sustained 11 stab wounds and 5 slash wounds. Although she wasn't pronounced dead until her arrival at the hospital, this was more of a formality. It's highly likely that she had died at the scene of her attack. On the floor, she had trodden for two years, a place so familiar to her, yet so cold and clinical. The store was immediately closed and cordoned off by the police. Trolleys full of food and drink for the festive period were left abandoned in the aisles and shoppers continued to arrive at the store that afternoon, only to be greeted by police in white suits and photographers from the local newspaper. And if you look at photos of the supermarket in the aftermath of Jodie's murder, it really does have that haunted air about it. Kind of like some of the pictures I've seen of Chernobyl, it was just this utter scene of devastation, stock all over the floors, baskets dumped in the aisles, and it just looks so wrong. It's 
hard to explain. It's almost like it's been frozen in time and all of the shoppers and staff have been surgically removed from that photo. You should definitely take a look at it for yourself because it, it's hard to explain here, but it, it really does have that haunted feel. In the same way, I think that when we see CCTV of a victim or a perpetrator in the hours before um a murder it's always quite haunting like with Jill Dando when we saw her going about her morning routine visiting shops just hours and minutes before she was brutally gunned down on a doorstep it's just always quite haunting and this has a similar kind of vibe for me yeah I think especially with this being so public what I'm always struck by when I see the photos and when I saw the pictures at the very beginning as well is is every single person who was there or in the vicinity or anything will have been touched by this. Not just the immediate people who are massively affected, Jodie's loved ones and her colleagues who loved her and that sort of thing. Even just somebody, like you said earlier, picking up some mince pies and then suddenly that's going to be something that they're going to remember every time it gets near to Christmas. Like, yeah, and... I think that's what, when you say like the photos just look wrong, it's just something about them, isn't there? It's just like, why would everybody just not be there right now? They're in the middle of picking up shopping and now they're not. And yeah, I'm always kind of hit by how many people this will have touched. Yeah, I I, I totally get that. I think I'll, I'll touch on that a bit later as well in the episode. But uh, can you imagine how traumatic it would be to witness something like this? It is seriously going to give you PTSD. You're going to need a lot of professional help to really um, try and lead your life normally after witnessing such a brutal attack. And can you imagine even just going, you know, those people probably never return to that store to shop again. Um, and even just going to a supermarket would, would be quite triggering for them, I would have thought. Um, so, yeah, it's it's devastating. But certainly for Jodie's family, for her colleagues, um, it's just appalling. And of course, for Jodie, what a brutal end to her life. It's just so tragic. And for her little girl as well. It just oh, it doesn't even bear thinking no. about. So Jodie's hopes and dreams for a magical Christmas with her husband, Malcolm, and their five year old princess were obliterated that afternoon. The terrible news was broken to her family and they were supported by a family liaison officer. And I can't even begin to imagine what it feels like to have the police visit your place of work or to knock on your front door and break the news to you that your partner or your daughter won't be coming home from work that day. I just cannot even imagine that. We take so much for granted in this life and coming home from work is one of them. Um... And and of course, that's normal, and they would have taken that for granted that day, but their worlds were literally turned upside down. Colin Breslin, a regional manager at Audi, described Jodie as a much-loved and popular colleague and said they were all deeply shocked and saddened by this incident. Floral tributes were left in the supermarket car park over the following days, and the store remained a crime scene and firmly shut to the public. In an emotional tribute, Jodie's husband Malcolm said, She was lovely and warm and always had a smile on her face. She was amazing, beautiful and a lovely person. She was a doting mother and a loving wife. And her mother, Nicola Dinsdale, was said to be utterly destroyed by the tragedy. 
After an extremely difficult Christmas, the weeks that followed were a haze of anger and confusion for Jodie's family. Her funeral took place in January and mourners at Christchurch in Skipton were asked to wear pink in remembrance of her. The Reverend Ruth Harris, who led the service, said, We have pink in the flowers, I've got pink ribbons on the vestments I'm wearing. It is just a joy and it is just a sign of another way that Jodie was. She just loved to share things with so many people. She was always sharing photographs of her daughter and Malcolm and herself on Facebook because she just loved life. Malcolm described the funeral as a celebration of his wife's life. He told mourners their daughter was his wife's greatest achievement. He said they weren't just mother and daughter, they were best friends, which was just beautiful to see. After his arrest, Hoard told police his attack on Jodie had been planned and he had also armed himself with an axe. He told police officers that Jodie had made things very difficult in his relationship with her mother. The attack, he said, was revenge for what he saw as Jodie sabotaging his relationship. Hoard admitted putting a tracking device on Jodie's car and said he had been planning to kill her for two weeks. He admitted to buying a pistol crossbow as what he called an option weapon and to taking the axe with him as backup. Oh my god, it's like something out of like a movie or a book or something. Like no normal person in real life should ever behave like that. What the hell? He's deranged. Or, he's absolutely deranged. He's, uh, yeah. He's just so horrible. Yeah. At his trial, the court heard from a previous partner who said Horde had threatened to kill her and her son if she ever left him. She said he told her, I'll chop the pair of you up and bury you on the moors. And it emerged that Horde was actually on bail at the time of the murder for attacking Jodie's mum. The two had dated for around 15 months, but Horde had been controlling and abusive throughout the relationship and had desperately attempted to isolate Jodie's mother from her family. So it's no wonder that Jodie had got herself involved and tried to save her mum from, from that abusive relationship. And actually, it was in the September of, of that year that her mum ended things with Horde. It's just horrendous. Like, oh, he's trying to, she's making things very difficult and trying to sabotage the relationship. No, she's trying to protect her mum and rescue her from yeah. an abusive, horrible partner. Yeah, and fuck you. That is not what you then do to get no. retribution. That You don't need to get revenge. You were the problem. But even, like, Christ, everyone's had breakups. Yeah. You don't have to behave like, like, he's clearly absolutely deranged. He is, totally, yeah. In court, the police outlined how they had found the crossbow in Horde's vehicle, which was parked in the Audi car park, along with 50 bolts, a large amount of diesel and cable ties. And oh. for me, this sheds more light on what he was planning in the days and weeks leading up to the attack. He was obviously considering a number of options. The cable ties scream kidnap to me. Um, perhaps he was planning to torture Jodie and to murder her on the moors. Maybe he was going to taunt her with that crossbow, making it very clear to her that that was how he was going to end her life. And she would have 
had time to feel that dread and panic and to feel the loss of her own life, to think about her daughter being brought up without her. So, you know, I, I really think that was a possibility. The cable ties, this guy owned a van. I, I really think that he was potentially looking at kidnapping her, maybe taking her to the moors and torturing her and uh, murdering her and disposing of her body there. But for whatever reason, that that wasn't possible. It, not that there's ever, there's not like a silver line or a good side, but at least what he did do was very, very quick. And it sounds like she would have died quite quickly from such a savage attack. So I'm, I'm kind of a bit like, well, at, at least it wasn't as drawn out as it potentially could have been. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Horde was hell bent on ending Jodie's life. The fact that he chose to do that at her place of work, to walk up to her and stab her repeatedly while he looked her in the eyes is beyond tragic. But I actually think her attack could have been much worse. Like we've said, it could have been more prolonged and more torturous. The fact, as you said, that it was over in seconds is some small comfort, um, but it is still comfort nonetheless, isn't it? Um, he he was going to end her life. That is a fact. It was just how he was going to go about it. Horde pleaded guilty at his trial and in sentencing him, Judge Jonathan Durham Hall QC said, You're a monster, Mr Horde. You are truly and horribly rotten to the core. You chose a time and a place to, in effect, execute, to kill, to murder. He said the killing was calculated to cause the maximum pain, horror, shock and trauma. And he was sentenced to life imprisonment and told he would serve a minimum of 30 years. Which actually he did appeal the following year Mm. successfully um, and had that sentence reduced to 27 years. As we alluded to earlier, it it was later revealed that a number of the witnesses to Jodie's attack were treated as victims themselves and they were thankfully given a lot of specialist support. All copies of the CCTV from the store which covered the attack in gruesome detail were destroyed. Only the police copy was preserved um, but the store destroyed any physical and and soft copies of of that CCTV. The judge made sure of that. That's good because it would just be horrendous for that to somehow come up on like some creepy website or something where people who are sick would kind of want to watch it. And we've seen that be- we've seen that happen before, and that that's exactly what the judge said. He was kind of like that the attack was so brutal, and I am so concerned that that any CCTV will get into the wrong hands, and that family, colleagues, friends could then come across it and be you know further traumatized. So, um, so he kind of ordered all copies to be destroyed, apart from that police copy. In a statement read in court, Jodie's husband Malcolm said his life and that of his daughter had been ripped apart. He said, I've tried to explain it to my daughter who then says to me, I hate you daddy for not bringing mummy back. You're not trying hard enough. Oh my God, that's horrible. I mean, Jesus, isn't that just, it literally just rips your heart in two. 
And he, he went on to say, she then says, Daddy, can't I have a brother or sister anymore? Or won't mummy ever be a granny now? And he said, how do you deal with that? And how do you deal with that with a five-year-old? You can't, you can't deal with that. And he said that his wife and daughter had an unbreakable bond and described how his daughter had been excited about them opening presents together. And obviously that, that was just pulled from her so brutally and every single Christmas from now on is is going to bring back these awful memories. I think as well like he's he's grieving and obviously his daughter doesn't know what she's saying she's five but he's there also grieving the loss of his wife and then having to also hear things like that it's just so sad this poor guy. Yeah I think you're right I think obviously the his daughter won't know that what she's saying is really upsetting for him. And of course, he he's not complaining about that. But yeah, he he's grieving for the loss of his wife, for the loss of his daughter's mother. And seeing his daughter so traumatised by that must just be like a whole other shit issue to have to deal with. Detective Chief Inspector Mark Pearson of the Cleveland and North Yorkshire Major Investigation Team said, Neville Horde planned and carried out a horrific attack on Jodie Wilshire while she was working in a busy supermarket in the run-up to Christmas. His terrible actions have devastated a family, leaving a mother without a daughter, a husband without a wife, and a young girl without her mother. No sentence could ever compensate for their loss. And I think that just summarises it perfectly, really. It, it doesn't really matter that he had his sentence successfully reduced because no sentence is ever going to compensate for their devastating loss. And I did I did have a look on um, social media and I, I saw Jodie's Facebook page, which is still up. And I didn't I didn't delve into it in any sort of detail, but there, there's just a, a heartbreaking picture from... Um, the days or weeks before her murder of her and Malcolm and their daughter, who I've deliberately not named in in the episode, even though it's been reported, um, of the three of them in a Santa's grotto, um, visiting Santa and the joy on their faces. It's just absolutely heartbreaking to know that in just days or weeks at time, Jodie's life was going to come to such a brutal end that nobody could have imagined uh, would have happened. So it, it really is heartbreaking. And I think that's what we see now. We see it a lot more with the cases that we cover. There are quite often Instagram accounts still active, Facebook profiles, and it's all there. And there's just this real sense of irony that, that they're living their life and then it just stops abruptly. And we know the reason for that but I don't know it's just it's really weird it's a really weird feeling and I didn't delve into it at all um but I just saw the the kind of front page of it and yeah it was incredibly sad I feel like potentially I've definitely seen though that photo and I feel like maybe one of the local newspapers published it or somewhere online when the when the news broke or something I, I definitely remember and yeah this is the thing we put a lot of stuff out into the public eye mm. And actually, it really has, it does help to kind of, I don't know, like show you more of what that person was like and how they lived their lives. I think that's true because like we've all got Facebook profile, Instagram profile, etc. And it just really, it makes that person feel much more real. Um, 
to us, even though we don't know them, but we can probably empathise with them more because all of their hopes and dreams and their day-to-day life is documented and then it just comes to this abrupt end. And I think that's what's so disturbing about it. You can almost imagine, you know, what would your own profile look like if if you were um, the victim of, of a horrific attack, which I absolutely hope none of us is. But um, mm. but of course, you do put yourself in that person's shoes and, and think, yeah, could that could that be your last photo that you post? Um so yeah, an absolutely heartbreaking case, and it was um, it was highlighted to me by um, somebody on Facebook, actually one of our listeners who's been listening to a lot of episodes recently. I won't name him because I did get in touch to to, to ask if if I could mention him, um, and he's not come back to me at the time of recording. I would rather that we don't name him. Yeah, just, just in, in case. case. There's a reason that they don't want but to But you know that. who you are and um, I'm, I'm so grateful that you brought it to my attention because like Bethan, I vaguely remember this happening at, at the time. And again, I think, I honestly think even though we absorb ourselves into a world of true crime on a daily basis, I think it was just another one of those cases that I wouldn't let myself kind of delve into at the time because it was too disturbing a bit like pc andrew harper whose life came to a tragic end when he was dragged behind a car for a mile that was another case that i'd kind of heard about it but i could, i just couldn't i actually couldn't deal with it at the time so with this case with jody's case i feel that we can go there now and we must remember her as a sparkly-eyed 30-year-old mother of one, a loving wife and daughter and mum and colleague and somebody who was beautiful inside and out. And as much as we've described the end of her life, that's not what we want to remember her for. We want to remember her for the people that she touched in, in her short life. And also as, as a, a cautionary tale that none of us can take anything for granted. Well, there we go. I think that was an amazing case, Mark, and really well told. So thank you very much. Do get in touch with us on all of the usual platforms, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, and um, let us know your thoughts on this case, how it's touched you. Um, Also, you can find us on Patreon. As I said at the beginning of the show, we've got the book club we've just launched. We've got bonus episodes. We've got Jimmy Savile episode that we've just released. Um, We're going to do a follow up to that as well uh, next week. So uh, look out for that if you're a patron of the show. If you're not a patron, but you'd like to be and you're able to support us in that way, because we know not everybody is right now, um, then you can head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast and you'll find us there. We will be back with you next week, so we'll speak to you then. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye.